On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Dan Kistner as we discuss handling supply chain challenges while leading through a global pandemic. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by the Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS and Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. With the ever-changing market conditions that impact drug costs in the pharmaceutical supply chain, Dan Kistner leads the Vizient Pharmacy Program, which assists member hospitals in transforming their pharmacy program into a central point of integrated care. Dan has been an active voice on behalf of Vizient members addressing industry stakeholders, including the FDA, on issues related to drug price increases, drug shortages, and the need for more transparency across the pharmaceutical supply chain. Under Dan's leadership, the program has expanded to include an enhanced supply program that brings tens of millions of essential medications into the supply chain. Dan is a frequent industry speaker and has been quoted in numerous publications such as Bloomberg, Politico, Modern Healthcare, Becker's Hospital Review, and many more. He regularly uh, goes to Capitol Hill and updates government leaders and elected officials in pressing pharmaceutical matters, including frequent participation in congressional hearings in Washington, D.C. Dan is a graduate of the St. Louis College of Pharmacy, and we are so happy to have uh, Dr. Kistner uh, join us today. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here, and it's great to hear your voice. Talked a little bit about you and your bio. Is there anything else that you'd like the audience uh, to know about you? Yeah, no, you know, Bob, the only other thing I'd mention, and probably the thing I'm the most proudest of, is I've got a uh, wonderful wife, and we have uh, four kids under seven years old. So I've got a seven year old, a five year old, a three year old, and an 11 month old. So we are really busy. The days are, are long and the years are short. Yes, but I can tell you uh, that is a Great thing. And yes, I should have mentioned your family, although I, I do love the Halloween pictures. I, I know for the audience's uh, perspective, Dan has does some great Halloween pictures with his family, his wife and his kids all dressed up as the Incredibles one year, for example. And so he does a fabulous job. And so you're a good dad. And we all we all appreciate that. Well, yeah, and thanks, Bob. I'm glad you, you know, last year, uh, so we've had, we've done the Incredibles. We've done all different versions of Spider-Man to copy into the Spider-Verse. We love that movie. And this year, I'm trying to get us to all be different Ninja Turtles. And I could be uh, Splinter and my wife could be April O'Neil, but we're, I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. So I got to win them over. That's awesome. That's awesome. So now how long have you been with Vizian? 
So I've been with Vizient for, it's going on eight years, and I actually, it's, it's been in the family of companies. I was with a smaller um, healthcare performance improvement GPO called MedAssets about, about five years ago, and then that was acquired by Novation, and we became Vizient. So it's been about eight years in the family. Okay. So tell us a little bit about Vizient. Obviously, the folks on our podcast are people that understand about group purchasing organizations like Vizient and others. But tell us about Vizient and tell us why they're one of the unique uh, partners in the industry. Yeah, I, you know, Bob, I really do love, um, you know, what we've been able to do through Vizient. And it's because of the members we work with. So I get the privilege of uh, working, you know, it's the country's um, largest healthcare performance improvement company. In many ways, a lot of we're seen oftentimes as a, a GPO group purchasing organization, but we work with over 60% of the hospital, almost 60% of the acute care hospitals in the country, you know, 95% of the academic medical centers. All of the top hospitals, top children's hospitals are Vizient members. You'll hear me say members a lot and not customers because we are actually owned by our members. And that's what makes us so unique is that everything we do, when I look at my goals, when I look at our entire company, the number one thing we look at is generating value for our health systems and hospitals. And, and again, in the role I get to have, you know, our pharmacy team has almost tripled in the last few years because there's been such an emphasis on how can we help our members and our pharmacy leaders, you know, when you think about lowering drug costs, optimizing clinical performance, evolving the pharmacist role. I mean, that the pharmacist role continues to evolve at all of our organizations, which has been so exciting and really advocate because there's a lot of things that happen in our country every day in the, in the industry, the pharmaceutical industry. And a lot of them can be, have some pretty negative ramifications around drug pricing and drug stability, drug, uh, drug shortages, et cetera. I see. That's, that's awesome. And I, you know, obviously Ohio state is a member of Vizient. And, and I think again, to to reiterate your point, Dan, uh, it's an outstanding organization with outstanding people like yourself. And it, it's really been, uh, in my opinion, uh, a partner that we can depend on. And I think that's what makes uh, you guys very, very unique uh, in our industry. Well, really appreciate that, Bob. That means a lot. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes. So we're even more grateful to you as you manage the pandemic. And, you know, obviously one of the uh, purposes of this specific show is to get your view as to how Vizient responded. And then obviously, and also importantly, how did the pandemic change you as a leader? And how did it change the way you lead? So let's first talk about uh, it's March of 2020. I, I don't remember the exact date for us, Dan. It was March 13th when everything closed. Yep. And uh, governor got on the, you know, got on the you know, TV at two o'clock and said this is closing that's closing that's closing that and all of a sudden you know society came to a screeching halt yep so so tell us so how did give us sort of a timeline in terms of the pandemic and Vizient's response like starting in march yeah you know bob i remember those days because i remember getting excited about march madness getting excited about my bracket and i think that was one of the that was right around that time and you know, when I think about, um, I remember I was, I was just coming off the road. I was coming back from DC and we, you know, COVID really started to, um, it was starting to generate a lot of buzz and really starting to see potential uh, impacts in the States. 
And I think the first thing we looked at, you know, all the time we're working on lowering drug costs and drug shortages. This was the first time for a, we, we saw what was happening and across the world and other countries shutting down. And we started to say, what type of impact could that have on drug supplies in this country? You know, you think about a lot of drug shortages today, you don't get a lot of heads up. You don't really usually get any insight. You know, there may be a natural disaster. There be, could be a quality issue at a particular plant, right. particular right. country. You don't get the heads up. We all kind of find out at the same time. But this was a unique time because we all felt that something was going to happen. Something was coming. So I will tell you the first thing we did, Bob, was got our hands around what could the impact be on essential life-saving drugs. We have about 200 drugs we look at every day. If China shut down for six months, three months, if India shut down, if Italy shut down, if there were embargoes placed on these countries, what does that do to drug supply, both in the finished dosage form and in the raw materials of the active pharmaceutical ingredients, the APIs? Wow. Hey, Dan, could, do, do you mind if I uh, just interrupt this for a second? Yeah. Um, and this is more something that just came to mind for me. The API, uh, can you just sort of tell the audience from a percentage perspective, where does the, like if you had 100% of API for drugs, like a certain X percent comes from the US, X percent comes from China, what's the breakdown of API? This is more, this is more my curiosity, actually. Bob, that's a fantastic question. And I will tell you, that's exactly the question we tried to answer because today there is no golden source of truth. And, it, and I, think, I think what oftentimes you'll hear in media is you'll hear 80% of drugs or API come from foreign countries, primarily India and China. Um, what I will tell you, it, you never really see any evidence or data that supports some of those claims. I will give you a data point that exists, but then I'm going to contradict it also, Bob. So you know, one of the data points that we know is 13% of API manufacturers that are registered as manufacturers to make active pharmaceutical ingredients are based in China. So understanding that you go, oh, 13%, well, that's not 80%. But all that really means is that if, if there was 100 factories that could make API, 13 of them are in China. It doesn't tell you how much is being made in those factories. So when manufacturers go to apply for um, you know, these applications to make a, make a drug, they may list multiple manufacturing locations they may list multiple api manufacturing locations and so what i would tell you is that's that's a real issue that we have that we're constantly pushing for more transparency around the pharmaceutical supply chain because i can tell you bob there is no um there is no data file anywhere right now that could tell you at any point this year how much of a particular product is coming from who and from where wow so so you were worried about basically getting medications to our patients in the United States. What were some of the next steps you guys took? Yeah, you know, the first thing we did, Bob, knowing, so we've required now for a few years, if you're going to have a drug on contract, a new drug on contract, you know, we're going to we're going to know where it's manufactured. And, and the biggest reason why is there was a hurricane that hit Puerto Rico about over three years ago. And I think you'll remember, and many of the pharmacy leaders will remember the IV shortage solution, uh, IV solution shortage that we had because of it. Um, we've recently started requiring API as well, but we did a, we did a survey. We actually had, we collected almost 10,000 data points, um, on suppliers on over 200 essential life-saving drugs.
to ask a couple questions. Do they anticipate any short-term shortages, long-term shortages? Where is it being manufactured? Where is the IPI coming from? Where is the final fill coming from? Um, we wanted to try to, Bob, learn as much as we can before we saw that, you know, China was going to be shut down for maybe three months or four months or five months. Um, India, Italy. And, you know, Bob, so we did that. I, I'll tell you something really interesting we learned that kind of backs up the data points I gave earlier. Our number one country from both a manufacturing standpoint and an API standpoint for those essential life-saving drugs, those 200 drugs we looked at, is actually the United States of America. And uh, so what was great about it, though, Bob, is that we could watch the news every day. And if we saw that India was going to have a lockdown or Italy, we would actually know exactly what drugs that could potentially impact and what suppliers we need to start calling. Okay, so then you uh, so you had a strategy then based on that, based on that sort of map in your that you guys had worked out, and then obviously then you need to think, okay, where does this this drug comes from A, B, and C, and we may have a problem with this drug coming from this area, so we've got to find an alternative. How difficult was that to find alternative suppliers? It was, you know, it was difficult, uh, Bob, because of an un, uh, and I and everyone uses this word, but it really it was unprecedented. The demand we saw, Bob, during the height of COVID, you think of late March, early April, mid April, I've never seen before in my career. And um, you know, prior to really seeing that demand spike up, you know, we we looked at working with distributors to put these essential drugs on allocation. You know, we looked at. How are programs that we have today that provide additional stock and uh, additional supply in the market going to help? Um, but we saw, you know, demand in particular on about 40 drugs, Bob, that, that we've never seen before. I mean, you saw demand go up over 2,000%. You know, we had pharmacy leaders in really in the epicenters where COVID was really spiking the most. You think of New Orleans, you think of New York. New York. Yes. We, I would have pharmacy leaders call me and say, I went through a whole month's supply of sedatives in a day. Oh my gosh. Be oh my gosh. And because I've got, tw you know, I've got five, 10, 15 times more patients on ventilators than I've ever had um, in a normal operating business. And so uh, it was, it was very tough. And, you know, we had to work hand in hand with those members, with the drug manufacturers, with the distributors to get them product right away. Wow. So how did uh, how did your team respond to that sort of we need this now? And I mean, did they work a lot of long hours? Obviously, you did uh, and I did. We all did. But yeah. Did you also work a lot of long hours to make sure that our pharmaceutical supply chain was adequate. Yes, they did. I you know, I think to your point, I can't remember a time in my career or really in any pharmacist career that we worked harder than than March, April, May and and we're still seeing it a lot of, you know, there's a lot changing and evolving today. Um, you know, the biggest thing I try to do with my team, because they're great, okay, I have such a fantastic team, was when I would get the feedback directly from one of those pharmacy leaders that's, that's in an epicenter, you know, and they are experiencing something they've never experienced. And they, even a simple thank you and what we're doing makes a difference. And so, you know, I think, I think the real heroes are, are the people on the front lines. There's no doubt about it. They are taking risks that those behind a desk or a computer just don't just won't have. 
But I think the impact that, that we are still making was tremendous. And, and it was allowing, you know, I, 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 really, I don't think my team or myself felt more purpose in my career uh, than during those long nights. Yeah, and uh, just to, to kind of dovetail on that, the the whole purpose or purpose driven life, you know, the the purpose driven job, it was really that was the same thing uh, with us. I mean, we had decision making was very quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no real layers in an organization. You could go in and about layers. There was the the chain of command was there just for certain purposes, but yep. you, you could go anywhere and do anything in the organization as long as it was helping that one goal, which was to make sure that we took care of coronavirus uh, patients. And it sound, that sounds to me like that's what happened in your organization as well. So yeah, it, it is. You know, it is interesting, Bob, when you think about all of, I wouldn't say rules or guidelines that quickly kind of became obsolete, right? Because yeah, yeah sure. You were challenged to do something differently, and uh, and some of them, you know, some of the ways we've changed, we'll never go back to, which is which is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing as well. And you know, I think sort of the new norm. You know, obviously we're wearing masks and doing all that stuff, but I think the new norm in leadership has also been established. So, you know, how have you uh, changed your leadership style uh, with your team? And so, how how has that evolved? And what what are some of the things that you are gonna continue to do that you started and some of those things that you may not do? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question because it is different, right, Bob? When you don't have that opportunity to go give someone a handshake or a hug or see them face to face anymore. And you also are relying on them to, to go above and beyond. We're all relying on each other more than we ever have. Um, you know, early on, a couple things I did, Bob, you know, I, I obviously, I wanted people to be informed. I wanted to be as transparent as possible with everything that was going on. There was so much, un, there were so many unknowns, um, both both professionally and when you look at, you know, what COVID was doing and, uh, and, and where the virus was going, but also personally, you know, you had people that it changed everybody's lives. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have, I had weekly emails, summer emails with my entire team of everything that we're doing. We had daily calls. I had a daily COVID call every morning. I required for the first time ever, Bob, I'm requiring video on every call, you know, cause I want to see people. I want people to see each other. Um, but we started to, to chat every morning and we would have our, we had our COVID task force and it gave great, it gave a great ability to, to share, be transparent, be directive um, with everything we had going on. And it got to a point where, again, that was that was the way we started our morning and really how we got going. Um, you know, from a overall leadership style and, and how we've changed, uh, you know, I, I tried to also have, you know, do some unique things too, Bob, um, when it came to re- remind, just being thankful for everyone. Um, it, it's tough. And, and so I try to constantly be understanding, you know, I've got young kids at home. And so you had schools that were closed. You had everyone working from home. And so sharing the, the what, you know, when my son would run on the camera, I wouldn't freak out. You know what I mean, Bob? It was a, it was a part of the world. And yeah, um, dogs in the background. And yeah, I mean, you learn a lot about people, you know, watching me working from home, the dog, 
the cats, the kids, the wife, you know? Exactly. And I, I remember I was on a call with over a thousand members and my son ran in the room asked, screaming my three-year-old for more cookies, right? And I had to share that with my entire team and say, it happens. And I'm doing the best I can. And, and I know you are too. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you know, I've, obviously you're, you're somebody who's had lots of experience in leadership and, uh, you know, what, and, you know, I also advocacy, you know, and so how is Vizient advocating for our profession during this pandemic? Yeah. So I think it's all about advocacy. I, you know, I, 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 uh, over the last few years in particular, my career, I've seen more happen, uh, through advocacy that really makes me strongly believe that we've got to stand up and we just got to, we've got to fight for the right things. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we did during COVID that I think was unique, Bob, was uh, everybody talked about the shortages of PPE, the shortages of ventilators. No one was talking about drugs. And Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. And, and I remember uh, when we did some analysis and said, look, you know, it's great. It, you know, it's great. Yes, PPE is short. It's great that these car manufacturers are making ventilators. I just want to remind everybody, drugs are at unprecedented amounts of demand and no one can make them. Right. You can't just convert a car factory tomorrow to make these injectable drugs um, that are going to be given to patients. And so, you know, we did a lot with obviously the FDA. We did a lot with the media. We were actually on even the NBC Nightly News talking about that, you know, without the drugs, these ventilators don't work. It's like having a car with a bunch of gas without any gas. I'm sorry. And so, exactly. um, you know, we. We did as much as we could there. And so in doing so, we obviously worked with the FDA, the DEA said, how can we get, uh, you know, making sure there will be no DEA opioid limits, you know, at, at APQs, we call them the product quotas. So the manufacturers, yeah, can't make more, you know, fentanyl or morphine that's going to be necessary for ventilated patients. Uh, how can we bring a new supplier to market as quick as possible? So if the FDA gets a, an approval for propofol, They've got it. That's the number one thing at their list. They've got to get that approved. How can compounders come to market to make drugs that are, are, are reaching these unprecedented levels of demand? So those are just a few things, I think, Bob, that we really advocated early on and, and continue to do so um, for the membership. What have you learned uh, from this? I know it's probably <laughs> it's probably a question that could be the uh, you know subject of a whole other podcast. But I mean, what are some of the two or three like in your mind sticks out, Dan, to be the biggest learnings that you have gotten from this whole COVID, uh, whole pandemic experience? Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob, I think the number one thing I've, I've learned, I just have such an appreciation now um, for, for my team, for the members that we work with, um, for what we're able to do as pharmacists. You know, I think pharmacists are oftentimes the unsung hero in healthcare. Um, I think I think we just really care and we do and not saying that other professions don't care. They do as well. But what I saw pharmacists, pharmacy leaders, members of my team during COVID, uh, I was just so appreciative of it. I, Bob, I learned you got to still you still got to celebrate. You still have to find a way um, to bring that energy and that life. I mean, we're all going through this together and it's tough. But, you know, one thing we did is. I actually created a reenactment of some great news. I don't know if you remember what uh, Jim Halpert did or, you know, the guy from the office. Um, yeah. 
I had, I asked my team, I said, I want stories and I didn't tell them why. And then I acted like a news reporter with my kids in the background, holding that sign up. And, uh, I shared everyone's good news with, that's a great idea with our, with our members of the team. I had a, I had a suit coat on and I was also wearing shorts, you know, just to stay true to character. Um, but I was trying to find ways that I could keep people remembering that we're all in this together and uh, we'll come out of it together. And uh, we should still be thankful and, and appreciative of, of all the great things that uh, and some of the great news that, you know, was going on with uh, members of my team. So I know, Dan, you're a really busy guy of your young, beautiful family. You've got <clears throat> this great, this very busy and responsible job. But what things are you reading in your free time that interest you? And what is what have you been inspired by in terms of either books you've read or articles you've read? What's inspired you? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question. I actually I actually met this really interesting guy. Um, and it, and his, his name was uh, Ben Nemton. And uh, he gave me a book that he wrote with a few other guys. And it's a short book. It's not a. It's 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 more pictures than words, I'd say. But it's called "What Do You Want to Do Before You Die," and it is a New York Times bestseller. And basically, it's a collection of hundreds of people's stories. And all you got to do, Bob, is answer that question. And so it's uh, it's it, it's been awesome to read through it um, and just try to also try to. If you had to ask yourself that one question, Bob, what would you want to do before you die? And how do you take that lesson and, again, try to appreciate what you what you do have and what you're going through um, to cut, you know, in, in the moment? I, I, I think I think we all face challenges every day and many times, especially in leadership roles. It feels like the worst thing you've ever encountered, you know, and how are you going to get through it? Um, and I just remind myself that there's always going to be another challenge. And I've always gotten through the challenges I've faced before. And uh, I can do it one of two ways. I, I can do it with energy and positivity and belief, or I can do it down in the dumps. Um, no matter what, I'm going to have to face that monster. And uh, so how do I want to face it? So it's it's been a great book that I've learned a lot from. Uh, and, and again, hearing him speak and getting to see, you know, just what, what we as, you know, life's not a day or a week. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a period of time that you get to experience uh, successes and failures and uh, looking at them the right way, I think is really in the right perspective is really helpful. Yeah. And, you know, obviously most of the Ohio state alumni know this, but I'm a cancer survivor and I had colon cancer in 2008 and they they sat me down and me and my wife down and said, I had a 35% chance of living five years. And that was, 12 years ago. So I absolutely understand, uh, you know, what, what that means. And I actually absolutely understand what you just said is what do you want to do? And, and that's why it's so important that, that all of us take our leadership roles very, very personally is what, what do we want to do for our patients? What do we want to do for uh, our organization, what do we want to do for ourselves, you know, uh, and, and obviously our, our teams, you know, what, what do we want to do for them that's going to help them be better, get better, be better, et cetera. Bob, that's, that's exactly right. And you, I mean, your perspective on it is so powerful um, because of what you've got. I mean, that's incredible. It was, it was not easy, but I yeah. about made it out the other end. So oh, it's, it's um, awesome. 
so you know, as we as we finish up here, then uh, you know, obviously you you also deal with a lot of pharmacy residents. And uh, what are what is what, what is uh, just a small piece of advice for our pharmacy residents out there right now, just kind of trying to make it? Yeah, no, I love that. You know, we have a residency program in and. Uh, I, I used to be the director of it, and now we've got a uh, Brian Shaw. He's the director. He's doing a great job. But we take on a lot of interns, and I, Bob, it's my favorite thing. I I re, I meet with every intern, and I allow the you know I say ask me anything you want, and I, I'll pass on some wisdom. And I tell them too, like you can love what I say or you can hate it. Either way, you know it's a good outcome, right? Because hopefully you'll you'll learn a different perspective. Um, but you know, one of the one of the things that I think I've loved, it's been really helpful to me. So I'll give you two things, Bob, if that's okay. Um, I think you surround just you gotta remember you're not the smartest person. You're just not. And you've got to surround yourself with people that are better than you. Everything I've ever had that's had success tied to it, it's always been because I am with people, whether they I work for them, I work with them, they're colleagues, they're members, and they're just awesome. They're great people. You are who you surround yourself with. It's just the truth. And that's that that's a life lesson with friends and and colleagues and through your career. But I just always have looked to find the smartest person in the room and and get to learn from them and partner with them. Um, in the same vein, Bob, I will tell you, know what you don't know. I, I think I, I think you know, pharmacists in particular want to know everything because it's kind of how we go through school, right? You're going to know every guideline, everything that's happening. And um, I had a leader of mine once come up to me and he was in a different role that was non-clinical. And, you know, he said, hey, I feel it's, it's interesting because I don't, I don't have to, I, I went through and I found out there's new chess guidelines and I, I don't know. And he's like, you know, it's a weird feel for me. I used to deal with that every day. That was my part of my specialty. And now I'm in a role. And I just told him, Bob, you know, know what you don't know. Get You don't have to, right, Bob? You don't have to be the all right. expert in all things. You should know who the experts are. Let them strive. Let them stand out. Let them be the all-stars. Uh, but having this expectation that you have to be the, gen you know, the, the master of everything uh, is a, is a, it will never happen. And so, uh, you know, surround yourself with great people and know what you don't know, be honest about it. And, uh, and, but know who does, who is the expert, who is the, the, the SME and, uh, bring them involved. And it's, it's all about the team. I mean, both of those are all about the team. That's where you win or die is through the, through exactly. Exactly. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure to have you on uh, the show. I know that our alumni and our students will learn so much from you and haven't. And I know I know I've learned so much just in the last 30 minutes. We really appreciate all of your, first of all, your advocacy for us, your service to our profession and your commitment to excellence. So thank you for being on today. Bob, it's an honor, and it's an honor to know you and, uh, and to be able to, to be a part of this. And uh, for all the listeners, just, just thank them for everything they're doing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast each and every week.